Hello and welcome to UK Column. I'm delighted today to be joined by two special guests. We've got Matt Campbell, uh, who very sadly lost his uh, brother, Jeff, uh, at the World Trade Center on September 11th, 2001. Uh, and also by Ted Walter, who is Executive Director of uh, the International Center for 9-11 Justice. Welcome to the program both. Uh, Matt, uh, let's get started with you because this is about your brother after all. So uh, begin, if you, we could begin, just give us a rundown of what happened and uh, what has happened since September 11th to try to get some uh, clarity on what happened. Um, well, that's a journey. Um, yeah, so my brother um, was living in New York, in Manhattan, and he was attending the Risk Waters Conference, which was a, a British um, event put on on the 106th floor of the North Tower. And, you know, sadly, Jeff was there um, when the attacks happened. And whilst we kind of accept that there's very little chance of him being alive sort of five, six days after 9-11, um, we only actually got remains of him identified in uh, June the following year in 2002. And, um, yeah, I mean, gradually over the years, uh, we've had more remains identified all through um, DNA. We're talking very small um, fragments of my brother um, being found and identified. Um, and I mean, for me, I, I started looking a little bit more into what happened um, on 9-11 and, and more probably what the US and the UK were doing post 9-11 in terms of wars and stuff. And um, I think just over the years, I, I just started to question more and more about what we had been Old. And um, in, in the UK, because my brother's remains were identified and they were repatriated back to the UK, we have this thing called an inquest, which is where you, you know, establish, OK, who who were they? Uh, where did they die and when did they die? And you know, how did they come about their death? And that the inquest was joined with nine other um, victims um, and it was adjourned in 2004, which is quite common. Um, you know, they wait a while to, to, to do supposedly their investigation. And then in um, January 2013, um, he actually had the inquest, which was with um, these, these nine other victims. Um, and, and I didn't attend. Um, in fact, out of the 10 victims, I think only two families were represented. Um, and it really, you know, it wasn't until I got hold of the, the audio and the transcript of the inquest did I sort of realise, you know, how little actually went on in that formal process that they went through um, in terms of establishing, you know, the how my brother basically died. Um, there was a, a couple of minutes spent on him as an individual, but it, it, in all, I think they covered all ten deaths in like an hour and a half, hour and forty, and it, it, it felt very much like kind of just rubber stamp, you know, dotting the i's, crossing the t's, except. You know, we now know that really they didn't do an awful lot of dotting the I's and crossing the T's because there wasn't much in the way of a, an inquiry, I don't think, um, in, in actually, you know, how my brother came about his death, which is the point of an inquest. Jeff was one of, uh, I think it was 67 British victims that day. Have all 67 had a similar experience in terms of uh, the British authorities and any inquest that happened? I mean, all I know is, you know, from my communications with the Met um, and obviously at the inquest itself. So, okay, 67 were British victims. But a lot of those were actually living over in America and 
like I said, if, if the remains weren't either found or repatriated, there's no automatic uh, inquest in this country. So uh, all I know is those 10 that were held in the inquest. And I know that four of the people of those 10 were at the Risk Waters um, conference. Um, I, I, I don't know how many more people have been identified out of the British victims, but you know we know that there's over 1,100 people still not identified, not a tiny fragment of them has been identified um, you know, 22 years on. That's 40% of all the victims. Yes. Okay. So, so an inquest has happened and it's had a pretty unsatisfactory result because it seemed, as you said, to be a rubber stamping exercise. So what did you do after that then? I think, and I went public kind of in terms of how I'd been feeling for, you know, over 10 years um, about 9-11. And it was through um, meeting, I guess, people interested in actually getting to the truth of 9-11, um, you know, in London initially. And then I went out to the States and you know, I met people from architect engineers and, and just people who were interested. And myself and Ted, we met um, in 2018, something like that. I think I went out there to, to talk on one of the anniversaries. And I just said to him, look, you know, the quickest, A, I want my brother's inquest open because I don't feel there's been a proper inquest into my brother's death, which should happen when someone's died in these kind of circumstances. Um, and we just started talking about, okay, how could we bring that about? And I think over a couple of years, that kind of formulated into, right, let's just go ahead and test the waters again. So I'd already spoken with a barrister and it became clear, A, it was expensive and B, really wasn't in a position to, to move ahead. And it wasn't until uh, I sat down, I had a chat with Ted, started to formulate a plan. And then I think it was oh, early 2020. Um, just decided, you know, let's just go for this, see if we can raise the funds, do uh, an initial overview with a barrister who, frankly, was quite shocked that, A, we had all this new evidence um, that hadn't been considered, and B, the fact that there was no real inquiry whatsoever. And he's an assistant coroner, so he, he knows what goes on in, in inquest, as well as being a barrister. And, um, and so, yeah, rather rapidly, we raised, you know, sufficient funds to, to lodge the I think two and a half thousand page application with the uh, Attorney General uh, in August 2021. So you know, here we are, 22 months on, and you know we got back a very very short um, response from the Attorney General just turning down our our application and and really reasons that don't make any logical sense. If you if you read the letter, I mean, my father's response was, "It looks like someone's put it together in 15 minutes." And they've not even had a proofread of it. Uh, and, you know, he doesn't really know a lot of the details, but he just, on, at the face value, it was like, this is a poor letter. Um, you know, a barrister obviously looked at it and has just said, this is, you know, it's not what he would expect, given his 25 years of experience, you know, response from, you know, some, something as official as the Attorney General's office. Um, and so, you know, we've had a fair bit of discussion over the last uh, couple of weeks and, you know, the, the path we want to take, and that's, it's not just me, it's my, my um, family as well, is to go down the judicial review path um, and, and actually challenge the Attorney General's um, decision, which is basically you know, putting it in front of a judge. Oh, okay. Well, look, maybe we could turn to Ted at this point then. And uh, Ted, uh, well, first of all, by way of introduction, how do, we've, we've had a, an idea of how you got involved in this, but why, why have you decided to get involved in this particular case? 
Yeah, as as Matt said, uh, he and I met in person in uh, September, I believe it was 2018. And we had been corresponding a little bit before that. And I was aware of him and his efforts uh, to try to open a new inquest and, and get the truth and justice for his brother. But we finally met in 2018 and started talking about this particular strategy. And, you know, to me, it was it was apparent very quickly that this was a really promising strategy that that there, there, there weren't a lot of avenues available uh, then or now to getting a new investigation of 9-11, uh, whatever the scope may be. This seemed like a very promising avenue. And um, Matt and his family were, uh, you know, very dedicated to, to pursuing it. You know, they were, you know, and, and so, you know, I wanted to support them as well on a personal level. And at the time, as Matt mentioned, I was working with architects and engineers from Island Truth. And I said, I think that we have the, the base of supporters and, and, the, and the energy behind our organization to help help you raise the funds that are needed and to also provide assistance in terms of putting together the application that would be submitted to the attorney general. Uh, we actually waited a little bit to see if the government might change, because, um, as you might recall, and I don't know these details very well, but, you know, Jeremy Corbyn was sort of on the rise and we thought that his government might be more amenable to this application. And so we waited to see uh, if, if he might come to power before submitting this application. Of course, that didn't happen. And so after that, in 2020, uh, we said, well, let's not wait around anymore. Let's just let's just go for it. Um, and we uh, we consulted with Nick Stanage, uh, the barrister at Dowdy Street Chambers, um, who Matt, Matt mentioned. And um, Matt looked at the the evidence that we had and and was as Matt said just blown away and the 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 reading of the law Matt's uh, Nick's reading of the law and, and th- that we're dealing with here that enables families to open a new inquest um, if there's evidence that was not considered at the first inquest is really straightforward and the threshold's very low so we we had even a better chance according to our barrister than than I even realized in, in the initial years of talking to Matt. And, you know, he said, you, we, this, this application of once we put it together will easily meet the threshold um, to open the, the inquest based on new evidence that was not considered at the first inquest. Because the only test that the court and the attorney general are supposed to look at is, was this evidence considered at the first inquest? Is there even a, you know, a remote chance? Is there any possibility that it might um, change the original conclusion at the original inquest? And it's not really for the attorney general or even the court to weigh and, and come to a determination of how likely it might be for the new evidence to um, change the original conclusion of the original inquest. If there's any possibility at all, and if the family wants the new inquest, the new inquest is, should happen. And that was the legal test that the attorney general was supposed to use in reviewing this application that was submitted two years ago. And, and sadly, the attorney general has completely failed to use that test and ignored that test. And, you know, we can talk about that in a little bit of detail. Um, and it, it also became clear when we looked at the transcript from the uh, inquest back in 2013, that the coroner, um, not only was all of this evidence not presented, you know, which is um, unfortunate, but sort of understandable in the circumstances, uh, but the, the coroner did not spend even a, a second of the inquest actually interrogating the question of how the towers came down, how the airplane caused the buildings to collapse. And the and yet, despite that, the the actual form, the inquisition form, where the, the conclusions of the inquest are written, actually states that the impact of the airplane into the North Tower caused the building to collapse, and that's what caused, uh, you know, Jeff's death. 
And so the coroner actually stated a conclusion for which no evidence was heard. There was no discussion whatsoever of, of the causation of the building's collapse. And yet that's what's in the in the original um, inquisition form. So that's the other ground on which we're challenging um, the original inquest and, and asking for a new inquest to be opened. And it's just it's it's mind boggling, in fact, that the attorney general has said no, has said no to this application. Um, but that's how I got involved, was recognizing um, that this was a very promising strategy and that Matt and his family were dedicated to it and I wanted to help them. Um, so Matt, one of the things I wanted to clarify with you was um, why this had to go to the Attorney General in the first place. Is, is it, Does this happen in every case where an inquest, uh, a family is asking for an inquest to be reopened, that it's a, a decision for the Attorney General? I think if we had perhaps um, responded quicker after that initial inquest, I think it's six months, something like that, um, you don't need to go down the route of the Section 13 of the 1988 Coroner's Act, but it, it's the only option open to us. But it, it's not time limited. I mean, there are cases where people have gone back you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years and, and had inquests um, reopened. So, um, yes, this was our only course of action um, to, to request the Attorney General to, to, you know, to give us permission. There was a fast track um, route as well, which sadly the, the sitting coroner of the West London Coroner's Court didn't take, which was they could have just looked because they got copied in into the application and gone, oh, yeah, crikey, no one did any investigation. You've met the threshold. We could just reopen the inquest. Sadly, they didn't do that. Um, uh, you know, I think at every stage of, you know, lawfare, whatever you want to call it, there, there is an opportunity for one side to back down. And, you know, even with what we're going to go into, and I'm sure, you know, Ted and ourselves will cover that with judicial review, there's going to be an opportunity for the Attorney General to go, yep, yeah, we messed up. We won't keep blocking it and making it hard for you to um, to get this uh, reopened inquest or get it in front of, a, of the High Court. Um, but, yeah, so it's for us, it was the only route. Um, there are uh, quite a, a number of Section 13 applications that go through, um, you know, or applied and are successful. Um, you know, it's not uncommon and, and it's there in the law to help families who don't feel that there's been a proper investigation um, into, you know, their loved one's death. Uh, and the initial application, the, the Attorney General at the time was, if I remember rightly, Sola Braverman. And I mean, was she... Did you get the feeling that she was in any way sympathetic, or has her has the attitude from her and her successor been pretty much the same? We've not had any direct communication um, with them. I mean, you know, typically how these things go, you know, Nick, working from the representative of the chambers, has been representing us, has been uh, in communication with a, a legal team at the Attorney General's office. Um, so there's. You know, this is the first time we've had any sort of formal communication. Um, but even then, it was the you know solicitor general, not the actual attorney general. He's like the deputy kind of attorney general. Um, so I, I don't think it had any real bearing. I mean, was, uh, they had a couple of changes um, mm. from Suella to I think um, the MP for Northampton sat in for a little while, and then it went back, and then it's a uh, Victoria um, Prentice at the moment. Um, I don't think that's made any difference. We've certainly not had any direct dealings with um, any of the attorney generals during the two-year application. Okay, and so for people that haven't read the uh, the response, what what was the response you got from the attorney general then? I mean, it was a very short letter. Um, they basically, well, they said that the 
me just read it verbatim. Um, in order to grant permission for your application to proceed to the High Court, the solicitor must be satisfied that there is a reasonable prospect that a court will order a new inquest. The solicitor is of the view that this test has not been met. And then um, they go on to say there's two headings, refusal for refusal, refusal of permission, and then under the interests of um, justice. Ted, you, you could take over at this point. What, uh, give us your thoughts. Yeah, well, basically, the, the first thing that, in essence, the, uh, the person who wrote the letter on behalf of the Solicitor General, who was responding on behalf of the Attorney General, uh, the first thing they said was, we think that it was reasonable for the coroner in 2013 to rely on the findings of the 9-11 Commission and the FBI investigation. Uh, now, the problem with that, the first problem is that the legal test here is not, is it reasonable? Was it reasonable for the coroner to do such and such? It is, was the coroner's investigation sufficient? And I think that we showed overwhelmingly in the application that it wasn't sufficient. So we can, you know, arguably maybe it was reasonable, but it, it really doesn't matter. The coroner did not actually establish with any evidence how the airplane caused the tower to collapse. Moreover, the, the sources that the, um, the attorney general's letter cites those were not the the the, the 9-11 commission report was barely referenced in the actual um, report from the Metropolitan Police and was barely discussed. It was just a timeline of the events. Um, and, yeah, you know, the, similarly with the FBI investigation, as, as Matt said, that the, the actual report, which Matt and his family finally got their hands on um, in, in early 2022, because it was di exempt from disclosure prior to that, uh, there was almost nothing in the report. There's just there's very, very little evidence. So to say that the, the coroner even relied on these these documents, and these investigations is, is really not true because nothing was nothing was brought forward from those reports and those investigations. The other thing that they essentially said was, we don't think it's very likely that this evidence is going to overturn the original verdict. And they said something to the effect of, you know, this expert and eyewitness evidence of explosive um, of explosive being used to bring down the towers would not make a meaningful difference to the verdict or, um, you know, shed any new light on how Jeff came about his death. So on, on the first part of that, the idea that it's not like that they think it's not likely, as I already explained, that's not the test. The, the, it's not the AG's uh, place to evaluate the evidence and decide if it's likely. We, the family specifically under the law, does not have the burden of proving that it is likely that the new evidence would overturn the original conclusion. Specifically, that is not their burden. All that they are required to do is present the new evidence and to show that there's a, a mere possibility that it would do it, that it would change the original conclusion. And the, the attorney general's letter literally used the words, you know, we think it's unlikely. Well, it doesn't matter if you think it's unlikely. And so basically they violated the law in their in their response to the application, and that's that is the one of the, the primary grounds for seeking judicial review is that their their decision is in a black and white sense contrary to the law. Um, the other thing that I mentioned of them saying this evidence wouldn't make a difference to the verdict or wouldn't shed any any new light. Well, of course it would. So because the, the original conclusion is that Jeff died because the airplane impact caused the North Tower to collapse. We're presenting 2,500 pages of expert and eyewitness testimony and other evidence showing that that is not why the North Tower collapsed, that it was explosives and incendiaries. 
So of course it's going to shed new light on how Jeff died. So not only does the not only does the attorney general make unlawful statements in this letter, the the attorney general and the solicitor general make irrational statements, which is another basis for uh, challenging this decision um, uh, uh, upon judicial review. So that's the essence of the letter. And then they even go on to say that that the question of how the twin towers came down and that whether it was explosives and incendiaries contributed to that is beyond the scope of an inquest. Uh, and that's just utterly false. Um, our barrister, Nick Stanage, he also, as Matt mentioned, he sits as an assistant coroner. And he says this is squarely within the responsibilities and the capabilities of a coroner to evaluate. And the, there was the, the mandate of the coroner is to look at all facts that have any bearing on how uh, any given ind individual might have um, met their death. And so obviously the evidence that we brought forward of controlled demolition of the North Tower um, factors into that. So the letter is, is truly egregious. It's um, appalling, in my opinion, um, and it's, it's, it's an embarrassment. And it's sad because, uh, you know, people, I, I would say that, you know, those of us who understood this law to some extent were pretty optimistic because it, it's an open and shut case that, that there should be a new inquest ordered. Of course, naturally, there was a lot of there's some degree of pessimism out there in the 9-11 truth movement. Of, of course, the attorney general is not going to let this go forward. And it's sad that the attorney general has sort of gone and, you know, vindicated that view to some extent um, and, and done and, and really broken the law in how they responded to this application. So we're, we're frankly, we're, we're somewhat optimistic. Um, I would say even quite optimistic going forward um, because the letter is so poor and so obviously contrary to the law that we can succeed uh, with judicial review. Now, of course, that's going to that's going to um, require the court, the high court, the judge that we go before to be objective and unbiased. Um, and I'm, I don't know the British legal system very well. Um, but what I've been told is that, you know, we can we can have some degree of faith that. That a, that a judge in the high court will be more bi more unbiased, more objective than what we got from the attorney general. Uh, yes, indeed, no political agendas, you would hope. But uh, Matt, what what are the time scales then? What what uh, when do you have to f have the application in, and how long does it take for a judicial review process to complete? Well, the first part of that question is uh, is very clear. We have um, I think it's a day under three months, so the twenty sixth of um, September, something like twenty seventh September. Um, we have to have the application, but it's one of these things where time is of the essence. The sooner you've got it in, uh, the better. Um, there, there are some really strict time frames. If it's things like planning, it's like six weeks. But you know, it, we really want to get it in, sort of you know, two months uh, max from from now, which obviously puts us under a bit of pressure to, to try and raise the necessary funds to, to you know ensure that work gets done. Um, how long it takes to actually make that decision on judicial review? I honestly don't know. Um, it, you know, same with what we were waiting for the Attorney General to respond. It's it's a case of, yeah, there's an average time frame, but we didn't know where we were going to sit in that. We were told after about six months, it's likely to be 18 months. So we weren't too far off with um, 22 months. Um, but, you know, like I said, you know, lawfare or otherwise, it, it takes time. So um, the important thing, this step right now, is to get this um, the various stages of our um challenge uh getting it going as quickly as possible um and there's various phases as a yeah. pre-action whole letter that we send back to the attorney general laying out effectively our case 
requesting them to reconsider and change their decision before we go down the litigation route. Like I said, you know, in UK law and I guess probably around the world, there's always opportunity for, um, you know, a, a party to back down. And, and I think it will become very clear when we address what's in the attorney, the Solicitor General's letter um, that, you know, they don't have a chance of um, surviving this should it go to it before a judge. Um, <laughs> I, just, I was just going to say, I mean, I'm not going to say who, but, you know, we spoke to someone over the weekend who has been down this process, actually mm-hmm. went through the whole judicial review to get an inquest reopened and ended up winning the case. It is possible, even though you get kicked back, the Attorney General says no, that there is a way in which you can move forward. It's just, you know, it is, it's frustratingly slow sometimes. And then other times we obviously got a, a time limit to, to respond on. And obviously it does cost money and, and that, it's, it's a frustration, you know, but I'm relatively young and I've still got the fight in me. Uh, I, I think it's hard for those that are perhaps they're elderly and they, they lost, um, you know, older children and, yeah, times against them to try and uh, to try and fight these sort of things, but um, I'm not going to give up. You know, I think we've got a very strong case of, of winning this judicial review. Oh, okay, well let's let's deal with uh, what people can do to help. Then, so if we deal with the financial aspect of this, how much money do you need to raise, and how close are you to that target? And the other question I have on this is: Is there anything that people can do aside from the money? I mean, for example, if if uh, the attorney general's office, the attorney general, was to receive communications from a large number of people would that be helpful or actually would that be a bad idea um oh i mean yeah i mean the more pu- public support probably the better i don't know quite how it works in the uk i know there's petitions and things but um i mean in terms of of money because the work is so front loaded in that initial response back to the attorney general um we're probably looking at raising a kind of minimum 20 odd thousand pounds in the next you know you know before the end of July, ideally, um, the, t- the total amount I think is probably going to be just over forty thousand. Should we go all the way to the High Court and actually make representations there, um, which I think is likely to be the case, you know, unless miraculously the Attorney General does turn around and say, "Yeah, you know, you made a poor decision." Um, and yeah, so it, it, <laughs> what are we on? What's the date today? Tenth. Um, you know, we've got three weeks really to to try and, and get to a point where we are able to at least respond with that first phase of, of the um, letter back to the Attorney General, laying out the reasons in law why you know, they have erred, basically. Uh, the Attorney General has erred in their decision on a legal basis. I mean, Ted, you'd probably say a bit more about um, costs and phases and how to, to help. To simplify, you know, break it down, basically, we, we need to raise £20,000 or you know, $25,000 by the end of July, and then essentially, uh, you know, our goal is to raise another another twenty five thousand dollars, twenty thousand pounds by the end of August, and and then you know we'll be able to carry forward this case completely. But it's it's pretty urgent that we raise, uh, you know, at least you know the twenty twenty thousand pounds or so in the, the next few weeks, so that our the barrister can really get going on this. And as Matt mentioned, the first step will be to send that letter to the Attorney General informing them that we're going to seek judicial review and on what grounds and giving them the opportunity to change their, you know, change their position, which we hope it would just end there, you know, but, you know, there's a good chance it won't, but there's a possibility that it could. It could also end, there's like another stage where we first have to get the permission to seek judicial review. We get the permission from the court. And so once we get the permission, it often happens that the attorney general or other, other public officials in a similar situation 
once the permission is granted for judicial review to be sought, then the public official will, then, then the, the parties will settle out of court. And in this case, that would mean the attorney general saying, you know what, I don't want to litigate this. I don't want to spend the next year litigating this. Let's, um, you know, you guys can have your inquest. So that's it's totally um, possible. Ted, uh, something I wanted to ask you was, I mean, obviously for Matt and for Matt's family, this is a personal tragedy. Uh, but many of the people that are watching this won't have been born uh, even potentially uh, on September 11th, 2001. So so what what do we say to people uh, when we're saying, you know, this is a, a cause worth supporting? Uh, why would they want to support it? Yeah, think, thanks for asking that question, Mike. Um, and I don't think we've quite spoken to it enough. Uh, not, this is about Jeff Campbell and how he died and his family getting the truth. But, uh, you know, as we know, this happened on 9-11. And... Uh, if this inquest goes forward and we get a coroner to rightly conclude that the Twin Towers uh, were brought down by controlled demolition, uh, that will send shockwaves around the world, in my view. Um, that would be, you know, I, I've seen how inquests are reported in the UK. And like any time there's a, a major inquest on a, on, a, on a case of someone dying that was in any way controversial or you know, socially, politically significant, it's widely reported in the UK. And I think that would certainly happen in this case if you were to have a coroner in the West London Coroner's Court conclude that it was controlled demolition that brought down the Twin Towers. So that is our goal is to create that, um, you know, that that development. And, and that, you know, that, as I said, it creates shockwaves and you will then have, you know, millions of people around the world, thousands, hundreds of 9-11 families, thousands of 9-11 family members learning about this and saying, wow, is that how my loved one died as well? Um, and, and so it really will be a turning point in this larger uh, mission of getting the truth about what really happened on September 11th, 2001, this, this event that was a turning point in our history. And I, I assume all of your viewers uh, and you know, millions and millions of people out there uh, disagree with the direction that um, the United States and our world took after 9-11, and they want to see that curtailed, they want to see it reversed. And, and so 9-11 and you know, this particular strategy is a, you know, is a pathway to doing that. Um, we, you know, it is about, and accountability as well, accountability for the people who are behind 9-11, accountability. Um, you know, you would hope that this type of finding an inquest like this um, would eventually lead to much more in-depth um, investigations by U.S. authorities, by other, you know, maybe by international bodies. But this, this, this one little thing is like something that we have some degree of control over um, this, this system of the inquest and getting a new inquest is almost tailor-made for us to um, register uh, in, in the public mind and in the public record that it was actually demolition that brought down these buildings. And that could be a huge catalyst for um, getting truth and justice about 9-11. Uh, and Matt, on a, on a personal level, I mean, this isn't, this isn't just a campaign by uh, Matt Campbell. The, your entire family is uh, behind this. Yeah, I mean, my my mum's always you know, supported right from an early um, early days, uh, knowing that I wasn't happy with an awful lot of what we were being told. And, you know, she saw me kind of suffer with depression, best part of a decade, you know, dealing not only with um, my brother's death, but just uncovering more and more stuff that just you know didn't sit well at all with me, in particular the, um, the wars that, that followed 9-11. Um, and you know, it's not, the truth isn't going to fight, isn't going to bring my brother back. Um, 
you know, but, but for me, because of what 9-11 led to, and because I don't feel that my brother had any sort of, just is the wrong word, because that's not what an inquest's about. And, and primarily because 9-11 has never actually been in a court of law. They've either been settled, you know, um, with a, a, a guilty plea or forever stalled. If you look at Guantanamo Bay or, you know, even the, the Saudi lawsuits that my, my father's one of the, um, the plaintiffs in, you know, we're never going to see stuff in a court of law. So there's, there's not been that kind of normal process of, of a feeling that there's justice being done um, after someone's been murdered. And so I don't feel that my brother's life has been um, looked at in a way in which you'd expect someone's life to be, or, or sorry, their death to actually be um, examined in a court of law. And I'm not even looking to find necessarily the guilty culprits. We're not, that's not the point of this inquest. But it's to get that first level of, of truth, which is so important. And certainly, if you know, in terms of the trauma and stuff, I mean, it's, it's part of the healing process is to know the truth of what's happened. And, you know, I, I know to the day I die, it's going to rattle me that e even with what we're doing here, we're not going to know the full truth about 9-11. Um, there's too much, you know, cover up going on still today. Um, but this is a really important step and it will mean a lot um, to me and my family to, to at least give Jeff a, a fair crack of the whip you know, we're trying to get to, okay, the bottom of, of what, what went on that day. Thank you. And uh, so, Ted, uh, just in the closing minutes of this, just give us a little bit more about uh, the International Centre for 9-11 Justice. We had uh, Piers Robinson on the UK Column News uh, whenever that whenever you launched this initiative, but just uh, you give us, because we unfortunately didn't have you on that day, you give us your, your thoughts on it. Yeah, thanks, Mike. I mean, the first thing I want to say, by the way, is that in terms of donating to this inquest effort, you, you can do it at the International Center for 9-11 Justice website. So it's ic911.org, just five characters.org, ic911.org. Uh, and if you go to, go to the homepage, you'll see it right there at the top, uh, a way to donate to, to Matt and his family's effort. Um, so yeah, the International Center for 9-11 Justice, uh, which is collaborating and working and supporting the Campbell family in this effort uh, was launched about a month ago in early June. And it, it's actually a coming together of, a, of three organizations that have been you know, involved, a part of the 9-11 Truth Movement for a long time. The first one is the International Center for 9-11 Studies, uh, which, is the, which is the entity that is the, now the International Center for 9-11 Justice. And this organization was founded in 2008 by an attorney named James Gourley. And the notable things that it's done over the years, it, it um, organized and hosted the Toronto hearings in 2000, um, 2011, uh, which were held on the 10th anniversary uh, and brought together, you know, a, a dozen or so, a dozen and a half of the world's leading 9-11 researchers. Um, and uh, the other organizations is the Journal of 9-11 Studies, which has published some of the most important influential papers uh, in, the, in the history of the 9-11 Truth Movement, the, the canon of 9-11 uh, evidence and and then the 9/11 consensus panel, which was founded by David Ray Griffin, uh, perhaps the best known 9/11 researcher uh, in the history of the of the movement, um, and his colleague Elizabeth Woodworth uh, back around 2012, and published about 51 consensus points that about 20 uh, experts of, with various disciplines uh, in the 9/11 truth movement um, basically all reviewed and agreed upon, uh, and so it was forming a sort of consensus set of points about. The, the most important, um, best evidence about what really happened on 9-11. So we've brought together these three organizations 
to, uh, and the Journal of Nylon Studies is still, the, the Nylon Consensus Panel has finished its work. It, it, was, it was actually published in a book uh, called 9-11 Unmasked a few years ago. Um, but the Journal of Nylon Studies now is, is open for business and you know, has been for a long time. And we are publishing papers. There was a little bit of a lull for the last several years, but we are back again publishing papers um, on a monthly, uh, some cases weekly basis. Uh, and we're looking to, one of the, one of the, one of the focuses, the priorities is that um, you know, I think you understand, Mike, and many people understand that the evidence of controlled demolition is overwhelming and that the canon of evidence is well established and which the Journal of Nylon Studies is, is partly responsible for. Um, and so we're looking to expand into other areas that haven't received as much attention over the last 10 to 15 years because controlled demolition um, has received so much attention. I think rightly so, because the evidence is so overwhelming and, and relatively easy to understand we're looking to push the the envelope um, of, of new evidence in other areas uh, of, of the 9-11 events, such as the hijackers and how these planes were um, taken off course, how these planes were able to reach their targets um, and actually hit their targets, which I think the 9-11, uh, the alleged 9-11 hijackers would not have been able to do, not have been able to manage. Um, and other and many other aspects Um the, the, the financing and, and the hijackers, alleged hijackers networks and, and so on, um, and really get into the, the who and the why. I think after 20 years, there is a sense, at least among the people that I'm talking to in the movement, that we need to, we've, we've spent 20 years developing evidence on the how uh, to, to some extent, and now it's, it, we've got to start um, going towards the who and the why and developing really good, strong evidence on those, on those questions and not keep waiting for governments around the world or the U S government to, to do the investigation. And I think, you know, we're reaching a, a critical moment where, you know, people that have sensitive information about nine 11 are going to start, you know, have already started and, you know, will, you know, even more so start to die off. And so it's critical to, try to find primary um, firsthand sources of, of information about, about those events, people who were um, maybe indirectly involved or even directly involved in the events um, who are willing to speak out um, or who were sort of, you know, cajoled into being involved and maybe didn't want to be uh, or otherwise have important information. So trying to develop primary source information is also a focus of the, of the organization in the, in the years ahead. We're also doing things like public education. We're, we're um, pr producing this film that will be released on the, the upcoming 9-11 anniversary called Peace, War, and 9-11, uh, featuring uh, Dr. Graham McQueen, who is a, a very widely respected 9-11 researcher who passed away earlier this year. Um, and the film is based on an interview with him that, that took place back in October, um, six months before he passed away. And he's a very eloquent, and very um, astute observer of, of the events of 9-11 and, and sort of what 9-11 was about in the larger historical context. And so he, he, you know, he speaks about that in this interview, in this, in this film. So I encourage people to go, you can watch a trailer for that film on our website. And that's just one of the many things that we're working on right now. So um, the supporting the Campbell family is a, is a high priority of the organization. Um, and, um, you know, we're honored. I'm, I've been honored to work with Matt over the last four years um, to make this effort happen. And as Matt said, we're not, we're not ready to give up. So um, really appreciate people who are able to support this effort. Um, and and it, as we said before, it is urgent for people to donate. We really need to raise uh, at least $20,000, 20, 20,000 pounds by the end of July. So thank you to everyone who's able to donate. We're just about out of time. But if we, if we finish with Matt, I mean, what are your, 
what are your final thoughts and what are your uh, hopes uh, with this process? Uh, I'd like to get some thoughts on on how this how this hopefully will end for you. I hope that we do go down the judicial review path. We're able to raise the funds. We overturn the Attorney General's decision. We get the permission from the High Court and we get the old inquest quashed and a new one opened. And, you know, although the scope of the inquest is quite narrow, it, it's really for people to, you know, within my own circle of uh, family and friends to, to, to realise there's, there's an awful lot we still don't know or hasn't been in the, in the public um, realm to do with 9-11. And I said that the very simple fact that none of the new evidence that we put forward at the inquest was ever considered by the coroner. Um, I was going to do a little backtrack to what you talked about, the, um, the police report, um, Ted, that you mentioned that was exempt from disclosure. Um, you know, I got, I got kind of excited when we finally got hold of that. This is the SA-15, so the counterterrorism, um, you know, part of, of the UK, their investigation into 9-11. And when I got it, it was like a two pages of cut and paste of the 9-11 mission report. And, you know, that, that kind of thing just really frustrates me that that's, that's all we had um, in the way of an investigation um, to do with my brother's death. And um, I, I, just, I just really hope that we get the permission and we get into a court of law because no one's done it so far. It, and that is disgusting for an event that killed 3,000 people that no one's been able to get any form of litigation, nothing into a court of law to actually properly um, look at the evidence that's out there. And so I'm just hopeful we're going to get into that position. I, I really am hopeful. Uh, yeah, an event uh, which killed 3,000 people on the day, but of course has killed millions since. Oh, it's, I mean, I can't remember what the Institute is. I, I was talking about it with Ted the other day. Um, what, do you remember, Ted, the you, Brown something? Yes. Brown University yeah, cost of war. Um, you know, four and a half million people have uh, estimated to have died um, in the war on terror. It's just it's disgusting. We'll leave it on that note. Uh, thank you very much uh, to Matt Campbell and Ted Walter for joining us today. Uh, this is uh, still, 9-11 is still a key issue because so much, as we've said, uh, happened as a result of it. Uh, and so uh, I would encourage everybody uh, to help out if you possibly can. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we will be back very shortly. Bye-bye.